0: Good afternoon and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the Inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevinen, pleased to be your guide on this journey. We're all about music on this week's Northwest Arts Review. The Spokane Symphony's Mateusz Wolski drops by to share insights learned during the pandemic year. Andrea Olson fills us in on the Spokane Valley Summer Theater's upcoming in-person events, and we'll meet Bozeman Symphony Orchestra composer-in-residence Scott Lee. We've also got music from our studio, one of the student performances recently recorded, and classical-era sounds from the Spokane Symphony's online spring series beginning with this Mozart. That's all ahead on Northwest Arts Review. Artist-in-Residence, or composer-in-Residence, it's been one of the hallmarks of high-profile music organizations, but it also happens in some regional settings, too, including Bozeman, Montana. We've been happy to share performances by the Bozeman Symphony Orchestra on Concert of the Week here on KPBX, and now look forward to following this new aspect of that orchestra and the Bozeman community's music scene. Let's meet Bozeman Symphony composer-in-residence Scott Lee. Of course, you grew up in Florida, and you still live and teach there, correct?
1: Yeah, it's actually, uh, I, you know, I grew up and then went away for college, and uh, it just so happened that I ended up with a job back at the University of Florida. So it's sort of by happenstance that I'm back a couple hours from where I grew up.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, big Sky Country, a little bit different from Florida. And <laughs> certainly. <laughs> but welcome. Tell us a little bit about your road to your role now as composer. Yeah,
1: certainly. Um, I grew up, uh, my, my parents are both amateur musicians. My mom plays piano, my dad sings. They met in high school in a production of and Dolls. So as a young kid, uh, I I watched my sister taking piano lessons and I asked my mom if I could take piano lessons because I wanted to do everything my sister was doing. Mm -hmm. I was, I don't know, maybe three or four at this time. And my mom said, well, you can uh, start taking piano uh, once you learn how to read. (laughs) So I had to, uh, I started taking piano when I was about five Mm -hmm. and I think it was around middle school where I have this particular memory of going to a talent show and watching someone get up and play something on the piano that they had written themselves. Mm. And that wasn't really something I had considered until that point. And uh, I think there's a little bit of a competitive part of me that, well, I can do that, and I can do that better than, than that piece, you know? And so I went home, and I started just sort of noodling around on the piano and making up songs I didn't write anything down but you know it just became a thing that I was constantly doing and by the time I got to high school I was doing it a little bit more seriously and ended up going to college at at Vanderbilt to study composition there and you know there's just these different moments where I could choose to go one way and I always found I was you know I I was gonna maybe do a physics double major in college and realized I was better at music than I was at (laughs) physics so I just kept pushing in that direction until I uh, ended up, you know, doing it as my career.
0: Are there any major influences that you can cite either in terms of composers uh, or musical artists from other genres or even teachers along the way who have really, you think, played a key role in steering you toward where you are today?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are some composers that were You know, one of the first pieces that really of contemporary, or not contemporary, but of, you know, 20th century music that uh, opened the the door to me was Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra. Mm. Um, We were studying that in in high school, and we spent a long time just really getting into the nitty gritty of it, which I loved. And so that piece is really special to me. Um, And Bartok, in general, is a, a, a big touchstone for me. Um, there's another composer, Thomas Adas, who's a British composer, who mm. I heard a piece of his when I was in high school, maybe, that uh, called Asyla. And the third movement is supposed to sort of represent a dance club gone wrong situation mm. with thumping sort of bass, four on the floor, and but in full orchestra and sort of psychedelic nature. So that had a big impression on me too. But other groups, like uh, there's a jazz trio called uh, The Bad Plus, who I was a big fan of, who sort of did covers of Nirvana songs as well as Ligeti, and so they had this sort of very uh, Catholic taste in, in all sorts of genres of music, mm-hmm. and so I sort of took that to heart, and that's what I really tried to do: is, is sort of incorporate a little bit of everything from my experience and the music that I love. So, well, you know- certainly I've had plenty of teachers along the way who, have uh, you know, I can my, my, all my undergraduate teachers who really were mentors to me and up to my doctoral advisor, Scott Lindroth. And so uh, too many to name, I think.
0: <laughs> well, sure, but that gives us a picture and a nice way to transition to the next thing because I think that Catholicity or that uh, eclectic nature of the music that you listen to and were influenced by and probably still love to this day really does inform your compositional output. Uh, just a cursory look at what you've written, there are pieces for full orchestra, some short, some long. There are also some really interesting instrumental combinations that you employ in some of your pieces. Probably the most remarkable one is a piece which actually comes from last year. and um, The title is escaping me right now, but it's for piano, toy piano, and melodeon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, A little miniature that I wrote for um, Hockett, which is a great contemporary piano duo. a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, Sarah and Thomas uh, are in that ensemble. And they had a great project where they commissioned 50 composers to write 30 second to one minute pieces. And it was called What 2020 Sounds Like. Mm. They encouraged toy piano and, and melodica and regular piano and playing inside the piano doing all sorts of fun stuff mm-hmm. and so there were other composers who had them put bouncy balls in the piano and do all sorts of really fun stuff so they're really adventurous and and i love that but yeah i, I tend to have um uh, one sort of weird ensemble that i like to write for is combining drum set with acoustic instruments like string quartet and things like that which provides acoustic challenges certainly but you know i like the element of groove, I think, and and um, I found ways later to sort of get the kind of groove I want without the drum set that I used to rely on a lot more when I was younger, but it's still fun to use, and it's something that a lot of people instantly can connect with when they have a, a sort of beat, you know, uh, from popular music or something.
0: Right. Well, one of the interesting combinations in here is a a piece that we were talking about a bit before we actually started recording, which is a piece that harks back to where you grew up. It's called Through the Mangrove Tunnels. And of course, the the mangroves are those uh, trees that you mainly find in the southeast that kind of form these tunnels. And there's a video that goes along with it that is at your website, where We take that journey as we listen to the piece of yours that's scored for string quartet, piano, and the drum set again.
1: Yeah, that was a a big piece of mine. It was an album that I released in November, and it it was a personal piece, and it explored uh, a nature preserve that I grew up going to in St. Pete, Florida, called Whedon Island. And it has this amazing history of being an important uh, Native American gathering place, being supposedly a place where uh, Spanish conquistadors landed. Uh, And then in the 20th century, there was a lot of land speculation and there were speakeasies on the island and shootouts between bootleggers. Eventually a uh, movie studio was built on the island and made three terrible movies. Buster Keaton was involved before he got shut down for not paying taxes by the government then uh, an airport was built on the island and the first commercial flight in the United States happened between uh, Tampa and St. Pete and now you go and it's a nature preserve and you would have no idea that there's this very rich history of human activity there except for a sort of line of the runway you can still see in the sand or a dugout canoe from the native population that, that once lived there and so but it's become overgrown with mangroves and so the piece, each movement is either one story of this history that I try to tell in music or a, a personal memory of mine from growing up there. And so uh, it's sort of just about this place, about memory, home. I think it's, a, it's an exciting and, and strange <laughs> uh, portrait of this, this place.
0: Here's a bit of Scott Lee's music from the opening movement of the piece we discussed through the mangrove tunnels. music of composer Scott Lee. You can find out more about Scott and his music at scottleemusic.net. Later this summer, we'll talk with Scott about the range of his Bozeman projects. I'm Jim Tevinen, and this is Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review. Throughout the pandemic year, we've had the opportunity to talk with various artists about the effects of the varying degrees of shutdown on their personal and professional lives. Our current status of reemergence from isolation offers a unique perspective from which to comment. Here is the view as experienced by Spokane Symphony Concertmaster Matej Volsky. You had, as we all did, a front row seat to the creeping disaster that just kind of finally overtook us in the spring of last year. What are some of your takeaways from that time, both in in terms of things that you couldn't do and were frustrated and also the things you were able to ultimately accomplish by being clever, (laughs) among other things? (laughs) So I I think I should start by saying that uh,
2: when I look at this, this period, uh, of all of our lives, I think that there was tremendous amount of learning and new challenges. Uh, you know I, I think that you know human res- race is very successful uh, as species because of our ability to adapt and and I think that um, nothing n- I've never experienced anything quite like it as for all of us of just trying to adapt to the circumstances where you are sort of you don't know what's going to happen next, you're stuck at home. Um, you have you know you have your lots of your routines that you develop over years and and all of a sudden all of them are gone. So what do you do? I mean, few few revelations I had. I I had no idea how much of a kind of uh, adrenaline junkie I was by simply performing every weekend. You know, you get that preparation and you get the dopamine hit when you you do a performance and all of a sudden you take it away. So, you know, so I walk antsy around the house and my wife is like, what is, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I have this, all this energy that I normally get to get out and, and, and here we we're just, you know, we're not performing. We're sitting at home. And, um, so yeah. So what, what do you do next? Um, so I think that's, that was one of the, the big revelations, to me, and then of course the rest if, uh, uh, is is just trying to figure out. Okay, uh, you know, part of big part of my life is is performance, but the other part of my life is 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 trying to share the knowledge that I acquire over years of how to play this little wooden box with the four strings attached to it.
0: Yeah, before we get into that, which is kind of key to what we're going to be uh, mainly about today, which is these uh, performances by our young musicians. How long were you without performance? So I think um our last performance with the
2: Spokane Symphony was in April or so thereabout. Or no actually we before went into that, lo- yeah. before that March. Uh, because no, we went into a lockdown in April. Mm-hmm. Um and then actually I was one of the first musicians to do a performance with Archie Chan. Mm-hmm. We did record a little kind of like a mini recital for a gala in December. So first time actually I played the music with a live person was uh, was there well, and also we did a uh, little project for uh, the KSPS uh, TV station. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also, you know, it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, the you felt, you know, you walk into a studio and you count how many people are there. You know, I'm collaborating, we are distanced uh, uh, because we don't want to get each other sick, and you were masked for and we preferred. were masked. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that that's one of the th- uh, other revelations, so to speak. Uh, what I what I had through this this adventure was that you know we when we play music together with other human beings, um, you know, what are you know how do we get each other cues uh, to stay together? You know, when you when you play a piece of music with another musician, I mean, it's nice if you stay together, and when you add the distance, and you never, you know, back then we didn't know what distance should we be. It should be 20 feet, 15 feet, 10 feet, you know, whatever. whatever. Um, and you have regulations that are changing every day. So you sort of keep it safe. Uh, I I don't know, you know, sometimes we say, we play together because we have the sixth sense. Is it the sixth sense? Or is, the, is it that your peripheral vision sees the little bit of emotion, um, you know, inflection of a body and you sort of, when you know somebody, you know when they're going to play as a beat. Or is it that you somehow register their breathing? Because, you know, all the good musicians take a breath before they, uh, they, they start or before they get into some sort of a climax. All those elements, you put the masks uh, on and you and you space people far apart. And all of a sudden, yes, I mean you feel like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. And you feel like all your senses have to be dialed in, you know, all your sensitivities like, you know, fifty percent higher to be able to actually accomplish anything. The the recording that you just played, um, of us recording Hayden, which was kind of the next chapter, uh, which was fascinating for me and very joyous, was um, you know, you don't play you know, you don't really practice because you didn't have the shows to put on. So all of a sudden, okay, we're going to have those recording sessions. We are you know, when you when you play a live performance, uh, you feel that sometimes you can commit crimes of uh, passion. And even if the if the if something didn't come out quite perfect uh the energy in the room you know you you're trying to play the music for all the right reasons now you go into recording sessions and you know that that performance is going to be there forever played on the radio by by some nice people maybe sometimes um you know you have this the you know the, the kind of idea that that you want to be perfect or as mm-hmm. perfect as you possibly can be so you're very self-conscious but as soon as you're very self-conscious it's impossible to to just l- let loose and um, and play comfortably because you you're limiting sort of your 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 performance by trying to micromanage that and then you add the distance uh, to this when you cannot hear your colleagues. So I know um that all the musical projects I felt that even though we had to, contain the recording time when, or when you're in the studio or on the Fox stage with each other, we could do only a maximum of 45 minutes. That 45 minutes felt like a three-hour performance to me mm. because the amount of focus that you had to have in order to try to hear what other people are doing, the amount of focus that it takes to don't be self-conscious, don't be self-conscious, just play the music, just, mm-hmm. just, just forget that there are cameras or or their microphones, just get in it. And, you know, and flipping that switch, it's a one thing when you have a hall full of people. You play for the audience, you feel the energy, you walk in, you tune the orchestra or something, and right away you are in the zone. Now you have to pretend that they are there, or maybe they will be there a couple months from now when they're listening to it. A mentally, incredible challenge to overcome. And you know, right now when I'm looking back at my colleagues' performance, as well as my own. But, you know, you, you worry about yourself, but you also worry, how is everybody else going mm-hmm. to do? And, and the, the musicians of the, in the Spokane area, you know, between Archie and all my colleagues on the stage, it, it was unbelievable how amazingly great performances people were delivering in spite of all those insane circumstances.
0: My whole conversation with Mateusz Wolski, available at our website as a From the Studio podcast, includes references to his spring project, the creation of a violin festival, partially to fill the gap left by the cancellation of this year's Music Fest Northwest. Three student participants from that festival came to our studios to perform, and they're playing as part of that same podcast, with each player introduced by Mateusz. Here's a sample of one of those performances from Mozart's G Major Violin Concerto with violinist Elizabeth Stubblefield and pianist Yi Chun Chen. In a different sector of the musical landscape, the Spokane Valley Summer Theater is back with a set of outdoor performances described here by Andrea Olson in conversation with Vern Wyndham.
3: We have a lot of uh, young uh, singers uh, involved in uh, theater, and we wanted to give them a chance to uh, showcase their art and their talent. Uh, but because we are not able to be inside, at least not with a full uh, consort of an audience, uh, at least in the fullness that we would like it to be, uh, outside seemed a perfect place to be doing this. And what better place to, to sing uh, un- than Under the Stars, which is our first... Um, uh, kickoff cabaret concert, if you will, uh, and this features our uh, our adult uh, singers and performers that have been involved with Spokane Valley Summer Theater. And then uh, at the same time, sort of overlapping if you will, we have uh, our sh- we are showcasing our younger talent, uh, the teenagers that have been involved and have sort of grown up through Spokane Valley Summer Theater. Uh, so the idea here is to showcase uh, these lovely voices, these lovely actors, um, these 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 younger uh, students that are rising uh, and, and off at college and back home for the, for the summer, uh, but then also giving uh, us, us more mature folks uh, a chance to perform as well.
0: And here is one of those more mature singers with a bit of Leonard Bernstein's music. Darnell Preston is joined by pianist Annie Flood.
4: I'm in the spell of a strange hocus pocus. When he touches me, I'm in the spell of a strange hocus-pocus. It's so, I don't know. I'm so, I don't know. I don't know, but I know if it's love, then it's love.
1: And singing a little bit in love, joined by the pianist Annie Flood. There are just some songs that are just right for any occasion, aren't there, Andrea? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Just. Yeah, and, and again, that's a great example of sort of the, the, the broad range of, of pieces that will be done for the Under the Stars as well. Mm. Um, uh, just a quick little teaser, uh, Patsy Cline will make an appearance, uh, as well as the Dynamos. So you can look forward to that. Uh, but of course, we're delighted that Darnell uh, will be with us as well.
0: Full information about these offerings is at svsummertheater.org. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenen. We had help today from Vern Wyndham, and we're grateful as well for the contributions of Scott Lee, Mateusz Wolski, Andrea Olson, Darnell Preston, and Elizabeth Stubblefield. Taking us out, members of the Spokane Symphony with the finale of Joseph Haydn's Sixth Symphony. Please join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.